3: Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is
2: Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
5: Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I want to uh, apologize a little bit. The uh, second hour of the show got uh a little messed up because of a, an internet problem. I suspect we're probably being hacked by the Russians. But we're going to talk about uh, cybersecurity this hour with uh, my my guest who uh, joins me by phone. From Riemann, it's uh, Mark Spock is uh, back on the show again. Mark, welcome back. Hey, Tom. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Um, now, we were initially going to get together last month and, and it d- just didn't work out. Um, because uh, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And um, I was surprised to find out that there is a <laughs> Cybersecurity Awareness Month. But cybersecurity awareness is is really a year round thing. And especially as we get into the holiday season, and a lot of people, because of the pandemic, will be spending a, a lot more time and money online. Um, what are some of the things that, that people are doing to hack or, or steal people's identities? What are some of the, the challenges and the risks online?
7: Yeah, it's a great question, Tom. As a matter of fact, um, believe it or not, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month is actually in its 17th year. Um, so it actually started way back in 2004, and you know this year's campaign uh, has been hashtag BeCyberSmart. So um, absolutely, you're 100% correct. The pandemic has definitely introduced a new dynamic for the American family um, where you've got a lot of things coming together at home. You've got homeschooling. You've got Zoom meetings. Uh, you've got increased online shopping, which means you are providing more payment card information than you have probably ever provided before. Um, you know, we also have a lot of new devices out there. Um, you know, when you think of uh, maybe grandma and grandpa that might be in the nursing home, but we can't access them. So we want to get them a device that they can use. Um, so we've seen a lot of devices that have been deployed Um, You know, when you think about uh, a lot of the work from home, we've taken a lot of corporate assets that normally would be behind the corporate firewall at home or at the office, and we've taken that device home. And some of those protection policies that we have at the office don't necessarily follow us when we get on our home Internet. And so now we've got, you know, the potential of, of corporate assets being used personally Um, We've got the potential of personal assets being used for corporate use, Um, and so it really has introduced that big dynamic, and again, like I mentioned before, all the increased shopping demand uh, has moved a lot of people online, and so what a lot of people may not realize is that there are actually attacks out there called e-skimming attacks, Uh, where vulnerable websites, shopping carts can be contaminated with uh, bad code that could allow them to steal the credit card information that's being entered. Um, So all all, all these things are really coming together uh, to really increase people's risk of what they do at home. You know, when you think about being at home, it's a very comfortable environment. Um, So you may not you know, when you sign up for that service or that online program, you may not choose as secure of a password as maybe you would when you're sitting in the office. Um, So all of those things are kind of coming together to create kind of this challenge um, for the work, work, work from home individuals. So uh, the attackers, they're taking advantage of it. Um, You know, we've seen a lot this year uh, with the pandemic, with COVID, we've seen attackers take that to their advantage. Uh, They have used it to do phishing campaigns uh, that are directed at using uh, that CDC or WHO or the continued conversations around uh, the health challenges that we're dealing with. Um, And it's working. Uh, Those phishing campaigns are effective. That's why they continue to do them. Um, And it's really uh, creating that challenge where when you've got users that are clicking on things that they, they thought was trustworthy, that they thought they recognized, um, and it's deploying malware onto their system. Um, that's really where uh, the challenge really begins to set in.
5: Are there some operating systems that are safer than others? I've always been led to believe that um, that Linux is a little bit less of a target than, say, Windows.
7: Yeah, it, and really it comes down to really the numbers by, you know, how how many people are using that operating system. Uh, as you look at the personal market space and even in the corporate world, the corporate world is primarily driven by Windows, where you typically see Linux is you'll see Linux used as back end operation servers, um, but primarily out in the in the personal and business space it's pretty well dominated by Windows and Mac. Um, and so that's where a lot of the focus is really spent by attackers is really focusing on those platforms where the vulnerable candidates are going to be. It's not to say that.
5: Well, and the Linux bigger numbers.
7: Is, that's right. That's right. The greater opportunity is with the Windows operating systems and the Macintosh for sure. Um,
5: I, I just know that uh, I, I've had a lot less trouble since I've been using Linux than, um, than what I would typically expect.
7: Absolutely, and those are less common operating systems that typically people use, and they are very stable. Um, They're much simpler to protect, Um, and so you don't necessarily see the same amount of vulnerabilities, especially because, you know, Linux is built based on an open source community. So there's a lot of people that are invested in improving and securing that operating system um, and so that's one of the benefits of, of being on top of an open source platform is there's a lot of people that are invested. It's not to say it's 100% secure, um, because there are still some ways that you can get into that operating system, but uh, by and large, the attack surface um, does tend to be a little bit lower.
5: Uh, that's that's fascinating. I, I want to talk about some of the things that, that people can do to protect themselves, but... Um, I, I want to take a little uh, a little side trip here, Mark, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Because of the uh, because of the recent election and all of the talk going into the election about foreign governments hacking the election, trying to interfere with the election, and and then there's you know all of this uh, chaos after the election about whether or not the election was secure. Um, what are, when you see those stories, what, what is your understanding of what's really happening and what's really going on?
7: So when I look at uh, some of the stories that have been released, as a matter of fact, I was reading an article over the weekend. Christopher Krebs uh, was one of the individuals that was tasked uh, with making sure that the election uh, process was secure. Um, as uh, many listeners may have uh, read articles in recent days about Dominion systems and their use of voting platforms, and some of those servers being located in Germany, um, they've probably read about some some votes being changed in flight. And this is always uh, a, a concern of mine when we introduce electronic voting. Is that uh, for anyone to say that a system is 100% secure and cannot be hacked? Uh, we have to be very, very careful about those statements. Um, there's a, a heavy amount of quality assurance that has to go into the coding uh, to make sure that security has been baked into the security or into the code itself. Um, I kind of like to think of it as like the corn dog effect. You know, a lot of developers will develop these systems. And then, you know, the security is the batter that they wrap around the, the corn dog. And so we we have to make sure that these systems are being designed from the ground up with security in mind. And that's not always the case. And, you know, when we talk about some of these software applications and platforms, uh, there's going to be, you know, always there's going to be the opportunity to uh, leverage a vulnerability or a loophole or a backdoor, um, you know, that... You know, the even the developer may not have even realized, which is why patching is so important. So we talk about that even in the Windows world, um, that the consistent patching of these systems as these vulnerabilities are discovered, um, to make sure that we're maintaining the most up to up to date and secure posture. So you know, uh, you know, headed into this election, I knew that electronic voting was out there, it was being used. It's always a a cause for concern in my mind, in that we're validating the results and that the results have not been tampered with. Um, And so I think we're going to see more information come out. um, But it will certainly be interesting to see, um, you know, where where this lands. And
5: when when they talk about foreign nationals, interfering with the election is that actually trying to get to votes and impact votes or is that more of a public information uh,
7: kind of campaign that's being waged well i think we've actually seen it both ways matter of fact there was uh, a recent news article of a state website and i apologize the the state is uh, slipping my mind right now there was a state website uh, where voter registration details was actually hacked and was accessed. Um, And so we do see that information. If if there's the potential of being able to collect or harvest information, they're going to go after that. But I do definitely think um, in my opinion that nation state does play a factor in um, potentially having a place in messing with election results. Um, I think, you know, we are a global economy. Um, and so when we think about how countries interact with each other, how we deal on trade, everything that we do, um, there are certain benefits to different nations based upon incoming and outgoing presidencies, the policies that are gonna follow that presidency that may favor that nation. Um, it, you know, This is just my opinion, but it would make sense that there would be some motivation there that a nation-state would be very interested in in helping with the outcome of that election.
5: Well, and there was some speculation based on uh, some information from one of the intelligence agencies that sort of hinted that that, uh, Vladimir Putin was for Trump and that uh, China was
7: for Biden. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And, and, and so it's, you know, you kind of start to get the sense that even on, you know, uh, globally, on the global stage, that there are these countries that mean one way or another. And, uh, you know, I think so much of the warfare that we have going on around the globe now is, is very much not with guns and missiles, but it is, it is a cyber warfare. That's, that's really what's happening behind the scenes. Um, and so I think that continues to be an influential factor.
5: And, and that's a huge risk because so much of our infrastructure now depends largely on uh, technology and the Internet.
7: Correct. And, and you look at the risks to our businesses. When you think about small business um, and the hiring potential, small business accounts for about 96% of the hiring that we do in the United States. That's a very large number, and when we look at some of the attacks that are happening against U.S. businesses, they are focused primarily on small medium business. So the SMB is actually bearing the largest brunt of this. And so when we look at what's motivating that cyber warfare, yes, there are some things where they're trying to maybe uh, tweak policy or try to you know lean in an election uh, uh, one way or another. But I think what we're really seeing is a massive transfer of dollars from country to country through these activities. Now, not all of the activity is nation state. You do have other hacktivist groups that are in there doing their bidding as well. Um, But we're definitely seeing that transfer of wealth um, from American businesses. And it's a it's a big drain on the economy.
5: Mark, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more?
7: You bet. Happy to.
5: All right. My guest is uh, Mark Spock from Riemann, and we're talking about cybersecurity. Uh, we are going to let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then uh, when we come back, we'll talk with Mark about uh, where where threats are coming from and what we can do Make ourselves a little bit more secure. Don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Hello,
1: darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do you can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous tip tab, where you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810 339 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go.
3: Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The
8: Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit CDC.gov.
0: How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now
4: than to have water running under your bridge later. Program.com.
7: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey,
5: welcome back, everybody. We're talking uh, cybersecurity with uh, Mark Spock from the um, from Riemann. And, uh, Mark, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, Tom, good to be here. Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about nation states and and also you pointed uh we were talking about the election and and interference with the election and hacking of the election uh by nation states and and you mentioned um that because of our global economy, that businesses are also um, in harm's way from interference and and hacking. Um, and certainly we've seen uh, all these these hijackings uh, and and ransomware that that sort of thing um, but you mentioned uh, a group hacktivists and thanks to movies and television we all think of hackers as being uh, you know some some loner high school kid who's just playing pranks or as uh President Trump once described it a, a fat guy in his basement with a laptop, but it's really a lot more sophisticated than that, isn't it?
7: Well, in 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 many cases, um, you know, it, it's interesting because I was watching a video within probably about the last four or five months of a gentleman that actually got up on stage and actually proclaimed it was at one of the um, White Hat Hacker conferences and actually proclaimed to be a hacker and you look at this guy and he's just, he looks like a normal, you know, mid thirties gentleman, Um, you know, nothing odd or strange about this individual. Um, And he just said, you know, it's just my love of knocking on doors and trying to get things to do things that it shouldn't. And I think that's really, you know, hacktivism is really kind of that, um, you know, they have a a guiding principle that they are following as to why they're doing what they're doing, whether it be to, uh, expose a business to maybe practices that it doesn't approve of or other things that may be happening behind the scenes that they're trying to expose. Um, you know, they, they often have some type of motivation that's running behind them, but not all hackers, are those types of individuals that want to do harm. They, they are more or less curious individuals that look at code, that look at systems, that look at processes and go, okay, this shouldn't be able to do this, but I'm able to make it do it. And so, you know, that's where a lot of like the bug bounty programs start to come in. And then if you're actually able to get something to break, Hey, the manufacturer wants to know about that. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna pay you a bounty for for letting us know that you found that. So there's definitely different streams and avenues for directions that people may choose when it comes to hacking. Not all hacking is negative. Um, there is black hat hacking. There's white hat, and then there's gray hat. So black hat is I want to get in. I want to figure it out. I maybe want to be a little bit destructive on 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 that journey. The white hat says, hey, I want to try to discover and, and find the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses for the purposes of identification and securing and protecting that business. And then the gray hat is kind of a little bit of both. They're, they play a little bit to the black side and the white side as well. So, um, you know, hacking can go in a, in, a, in a number of different directions and it's not always um, you know, like what we described, the guy with a hoodie in the corner banging away at the keyboard trying to be des- destructive. It's not always in that vein.
5: Yeah, there's a uh, um, a group of uh, students that are studying computers at Baker College that belong to um, a, a, an organization, a society of um, hackers. And they compete with other colleges to see mm-hmm. Who can hack the fastest and the, and the best and and these guys at Baker actually, they fare pretty well, often often winning the state and regional uh, contests. But I, I think they've even taken the national a time or two. Um, and it's amazing what information they're able to find and how quickly they're able to break down people's security. Um, yeah. Let's talk about security. Is is cybersecurity much different for an individual versus a small business versus a, a big Fortune 500 global company
7: um i i think the the risk for everybody involved in, in who you just mentioned whether it be small medium business personal or large enterprise it really comes down to non-public information and private data. So whether that be financial information, whether it be healthcare care records, um, anything that is personally identifiable has value. So if it's a credit card, if it is, you know, anything related to maybe your driver's life, anything that is private information has value. It can be sold in the dark web. And that is really the target. In a lot of cases, it's monetary. Monetary is driving that activity. Um, but really, all across the spectrum, all of us are managing some type of private information that if it were to get into the wrong hands, we could potentially fall victim to identity theft, some type of financial fraud, um, You know, somebody opening new accounts in our name, an account that we didn't open. All of that type of activity has monetary value in the dark web. And so, you know, the protections that we have to put in place are going to vary dependent upon who we're serving and what we're doing. From a personal perspective, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talk about right out of the gate is multi factor authentication. Um, When you log into your banking website today, Pretty much all banks today are mandated to use multi-factor authentication it's almost become uh, really just a, a regular thing to expect so when we get into our personal accounts and we talk about like Facebook and we talk about Gmail or some of the other personal services that we subscribe to it should be very natural for us to say I want to put that multi-factor authentication in place to protect to protect myself personally businesses are doing the exact same thing businesses invest in technologies to protect the perimeter and protect the assets that they manage internally that may contain either intellectual property uh non-public information um, operational data financial data hr data all of those things are being housed within our organizations and i think what's become more challenging especially as we talk about work from home is that again, these assets, these corporate assets have now moved outside of the perimeter and they're now operating in different places. You know, for a a while we've talked about coffee shops, um, you know, people working from coffee shops, public internet locations, you know, that's kind of been going on for a while. Um, But now that we've kind of done the full work from home transition, we're doing a lot more things than we anticipated we would. And some of the corporate policies and protections have not necessarily followed those systems all the way home. So businesses are rapidly having to adjust, look at implementing new technologies that make sure that that endpoint is protected no matter where it's working from, no matter where it travels to and where it goes. We've got a lot of cloud architecture now, which means a lot of corporate uh, information is no longer housed within our four walls it's now housed in Azure, it's now housed in AWS, it's now housed in any number of cloud providers that could have a global presence. And so we have to think just differently about how we're securing that data, where it lives, what controls we have in place. And those things apply whether we're personal, whether we are a small, medium business, or whether we are a large enterprise.
5: How at risk our people, whether it's individuals or businesses, um, just, just how v- pervasive um, are, are potential attacks?
7: Um, you know, the attacks are, are really continue to be very simplistic in nature. Um, I mentioned early on uh, that phishing attacks just continue to be the number one attack vectors that the the threat actors are using and they continue to use it because it's effective and so one of the things that we talk about in the cybersecurity space is defense in depth and it's having multiple layers of protection in place think of it as stop gaps or fail safes if a user makes a mistake if they click on a link that they thought was a good link and that link actually ends up downloading malware to the workstation what is the next fail safe that we have in place and those are the things that we have to think about both personally and on the corporate and enterprise side. Um, these types of attacks are happening on a daily, on a daily basis. Um, one of the big um, attack rings that actually just came back online over the summer is called Emotet. Um, there's two big ones that are that circle in the wild pretty continuously, which is TrickBot and Emotet. Emotet was actually down for a good chunk of the summer because there was a white hat hacker that had figured out how to get into Emotet's back end, and they actually replaced the repositories of all of their malware with GIF images. And so they struggled for most of the summer trying to figure out how to get this white hat hacker out of their network. And so for most of the summer, that malware strain was not actually even being you know uh, pushed out into the wild for most of the summer. So unfortunately, those guys are now back online and they're now spamming everybody again. And again, it, it, that is the most prolific attack vector because it works. There are other things that are happening out there in the corporate space, especially with the shift to remote work at home. Um, one of the protocols that uh, many businesses can use internally is called remote desktop protocol. And in this rapid shift of people having to work from home and we have to make services available and keep our staff productive, um, what some IT staff did is they made that remote desktop protocol available outside the firewall. And the hackers are looking for that. They're looking for those protocols because they can find ways to brute force attack, do dictionary password attacks, and eventually get into those connections and start taking over networks. So we have to be very, very mindful along the way. And one of the things that we've seen, and this was actually released in the 2020 um, Verizon uh, DBIR report, which is uh, known as the Data Breach Investigative Report, is that we're actually seeing that human error is actually on the rise. And so when we look at a lot of the things that take place from a hacking perspective, it's really due to misconfiguration or some type of a user error. And so we're starting to see over time, and they've been trending this since about 2017, we're starting to see that human error is actually on the rise in attributing to a good portion of what we're seeing.
5: Is that uh, something that is to be expected as people use uh, online services more and become more? I don't know more more comfortable and and um, less watchful
7: yeah I think human error is something that we definitely need to work on and manage you know again I think we can we can invest a lot of money and businesses do they invest a lot of money in security technologies to secure the environment to secure their data and what they manage but one of the things that's been lacking and we talk about this with many of our clients is increasing the security awareness training so there's training platforms that are available to actually train the user and even you as a personal home user can go out and you can do a Google search and say hey phishing red flag warnings, what are the things that I need to be watching for personally when that email hits my inbox. And I think it might be legit. What are some things that I can check to make sure that that is a safe email for me to open the attachment or open the link? Because those are are actions that we really don't want to take unless we truly trust and we know the sender that has sent it to us. So there's different things that we can do to protect ourselves. Security awareness training is very, very important on the corporate side and on the personal side again, because that just continues to be the most prolific attack vector because it's effective and it works.
5: I, I, I'm not sure exactly how it, how it works, Mark, but um, on my Comcast email, it it seems like there's a way to open and read the email without actually opening the email. It's like there yep. are two levels. You, you open it, and then if you open it again, it the whole, you know, it, it actually opens up full screen. Um, and, and there's a, a, an opportunity to to kind of get a sense because most of the things that, that I worry about are the things that come from um, camouflaged as familiar sources.
7: Correct. And, you know, there's different settings that you can configure within your mail client depending on the mail client that you're using. Um, you know, you can turn off the downloading of objects automatically. Um, that's a very, very good uh, protection mechanism. There's, there can be actually GIF images that can be downloaded, potentially that could be harmful to the system. Um, same thing with attachments and other links that may be embedded. When you go to your email and you have that pop up on the screen, the first preview that you get, you know, that first four, five, six lines, you're going to kind of get a general sense of whether or not, okay, do I recognize this sender? Is this something that I'm expecting? And if it's not, I'm probably not going to want to click on that and actually open it um, because that's when, you know, you have the potential that harmful things could occur on the system. There could be some, uh, you know, malware related elements that are embedded within images, within links. um, And in many cases, just opening the email, um, can start that negative process. So you're exactly correct. It's it's really good to make sure that um, you know you've you're you're previewing your email before you open it uh, and if you don't recognize it and it's not coming from somebody that you trust you really want to avoid opening that email.
5: Yeah, the, the, like I say Mark the thing that I find um, especially insidious is I will get um, an email from a trusted source or, or it appears to be from a trusted source, and the subject line is innocuous, the the uh, person sending it is, is familiar to me, or so it would appear, and then when I preview the email I can tell it's clearly not from that person and not something I'm interested in opening. Um, and and that's something I think people really need to watch out for. And I think it it argues uh, the point um, very emphatically that uh, having some way of previewing your email is is uh, very important.
7: Absolutely, and and there are a, a number of attacks that will come in that purport to be coming from a trusted source. So. When we look at a lot of uh, what we like to call spear phishing attacks, those are attacks that are really, um, they are purpose for an individual. the, the, The attackers that are sending that email have done their background, they've done their homework, they've done their research to understand who they're going after, and they've figured out names of people that work at the company. You'd be surprised if you spend some time on corporate websites, how much you can learn about a business that helps you begin to craft an email that will come through and look very, very legitimate and get you to open it. And so you're exactly correct. Having that preview for anything that may look like it's something that I trust, um, but it is is not something that I want to open is a very important point. And clicking on it, you know, again, we don't want to click on links. We don't want to open any attachments that are within that email. Um, and, and again, having that security awareness training is very, very valuable. The red flag warnings um, is very important to make sure that we're educating ourselves on what to look for because these threats continue to evolve. Um, and especially as we work from home more, um, you know, we've got people that are working off of corporate assets, potentially accessing personal email, and now they open a personal email on a corporate asset. Um, that's really where these challenges really start to come together
5: yeah another one that that I've seen happening a lot um, especially over the last year or two is um, people getting you know getting a hold of your Facebook list and then sending you a private message or, or a chat window. Um, that's from someone on your friends list someone you know and maybe someone you communicate with fairly often and then there's a link inside that mail for a video and there's there's usually a tease one of the one of the more common ones is um, I think this might be you in this video and then you're yeah. s- just supposed to open the video oh, well I never open those obviously but um, but but they they seem fairly harmless
7: yep that type of activity has actually been going on for quite a while as a matter of fact i have also received some of that activity and this really comes back to the 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 password selection and the multi-factor authentication so believe it or not facebook offers multi-factor authentication and if your account gets compromised and somebody's actually able to get into your messenger account and start accessing your contacts list and start sending messages to your contacts. That's when we start to see, and I've, I've seen this happen a lot within some people that are in my feed. Hey, I've been hacked. If you get anything from me, ignore it. You know, they're working on trying to recover their account and try to change their password. That's why multi-factor authentication is a very, very good step. It's something that you can enable today. Facebook offers that. Um, but when you receive that stuff from somebody that you trust, You know, again, it's one of those things where you kind of have to be the judge of that relationship. How often do I interact with this person? Is this something that I would kind of expect to get from this individual? So we kind of almost have to be, um, you know, judging on the fly whether or not this is something that this person really would have sent. And so, you know, I kind of think of it as like um, one of the things that we've seen this year has been wire fraud. Um, which is when an individual actually intercepts an email and redirects that communication and gets a business to change account number and routing information. And it's kind of one of those things where you want to go, okay, Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem right to me. I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call this person and I'm going to verify and make sure that that information is correct. And so even in the Facebook world, when we receive those kinds of messages, taking a minute to just kind of reach out to that person through a different channel and say, hey, I got this from you, I want to make sure, is that something that you sent to me? If that person comes back and says, well, no, I didn't send that. Okay, well, now we know we're dealing with an account compromise and that person needs to kind of shore things up. Mark, what um, what is your position with Raymond? So I'm the director of security and support services for Raymond. So I take care of all of the security practice. We have a managed security practice that we manage at Raymond. And uh, I also uh, serve on the help desk side as well, so we serve our staff, our, our clients each and every day um, with support calls, and I lead both of those teams.
5: Well, I appreciate you taking this uh, time out to, to visit with me this morning. It's always a pleasure, and this is important stuff that people need to take more seriously as they rely more and more on online uh, communications and services. And as you pointed out a couple of times, uh, uh, this, this new phenomenon of many, many more people working from home.
7: Yep, you betcha. And, and if I could leave just kind of a, a I guess a final tip as we head into Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and all the shopping that's coming up, um, you know, be wary of your payment card information. Um, If you're subscribed to PayPal or something along that line, I would highly encourage that you limit how often you are providing your payment card information. If you can use services like PayPal uh, and those websites offer PayPal as a payment option, Um, I would be very vigilant with that. I could see a lot of e-skimming taking place over the holidays and would not want people to lose any funds or potentially lose their identity in the process.
5: Well, Mark, thanks again, and uh, be sure and stay safe uh, on and offline.
7: You do the same. Tom, it's (laughs) been a pleasure being with you this morning.
5: All right. Take care. You too. That was uh, Mark Spock from Raymond, uh, a leading financial services firm with locations across Michigan, Ohio, and Florida. And uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with Mark because he really understands uh, cybersecurity and the importance for us to become better aware of uh, the things we can do to be more secure online. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program.
2: Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner show right now.
8: Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips,
1: Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810 339 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Programme.
2: was automation, I know That was what was making the factory go It was IBM, it was UNIVAC It was all those gears going clickety-clack, dear I thought automation was keen Till you were replaced by a ten-ton machine It was that computer that tore us apart, dear Automation broke my heart There's an RCA-503 Standing next to me, dear where you used to be doesn't have your smile doesn't have your shape just a bunch of punch cards and light bulbs and tape dear you're a girl who's soft warm and sweet but you're only human And that's obsolete Though I'm very fond of that new 503 Dear, automation's not for me It was automation I'm told That's why I got fired and I'm out in the cold How could I have known When the 503 Started into blink It was winking at me Dear I thought it was just Some mishap When it sidled over And sat on my <laughs> but when it said I love you and gave me a hug dear that's when I pulled out it's plugged
4: <laughs> this was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program
4: Thank you.
5: A week from Thursday, Thanksgiving, we'll have a special uh, kicking off the holiday season edition of the Tom Sumner program on Thanksgiving. Um, By the way, that was uh, music from the uh, Retro Rockets featuring vocalist Diane Alderson. Also uh, making up that uh, rendition, uh, the late, great Dave Kozel, who composed the song and uh, played keyboards on it. We also had... uh, Bassist Dave Kinder, and that that rousing saxophone solo from Gary Clavette, and uh, yours truly on drums. Anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Been a little bit of a tricky one. I want to say thanks to uh, my guests. Uh, Starting with Mark Spock, who was uh, from Raymond, talking about National Cybersecurity uh, Awareness Month, which was actually last month, but we talked about cybersecurity nonetheless. And um, I want to thank him for uh, joining us. Also, want to uh, apologize. I had uh, scheduled. Um, oh, who did I have scheduled? Well, I've lost my uh, train of thought. I do want to say thanks to Don Opel from the Food Bank Council of um, Michigan in uh, Feeding America. Um, I want to say thanks to Jeremy Walters from Republic. He was on during the second hour. Don was on during the first hour. Um, I I was going to be talking with uh, Jack Schneider, about a very interesting book about the uh, war on education and Betsy DeVos in particular. Uh, but um, I had some internet problems and so we'll be rescheduling Jack. Quite possibly we'll hear him tomorrow before armchair politics and Woodrow Stanley joins the roundtable tomorrow for our weekly uh, commentary and analysis on local, state, national news and current events. Anyway, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, good night, everybody.
0: The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.